What's good, my people? Welcome to the eighth installment of Dong City. We're a little late, but you'll get over it. You ain't got nothing else to do. There's no baseball, so you're waiting for us anyway. I'm with Vince Mercandetti today. We have a guest, Randy Hammond. Um, a little update from with myself. I am a statistic. I am COVID-19 positive. I've been home resting since Wednesday. Um, have not been hospitalized. I don't have any uh, shortness of breath, but I do have all the other symptoms. So um, that's kind of an update on my end. I'm feeling good enough to do this podcast today. You guys are going to kick ass today. So Vince, you ready? Yeah, Jesus oh. Christ, what a process to get this thing started. Uh, I finally ran into those vaunted Zoom issues connecting. So we are, like Henry said, half hour late, 7 p.m., Randy now counts as fashionably late as his Dong City debut. So welcome, Randy. Your first uh, your first trip here. How's everything going for you? It's going well. I think that I, I wanted to build the anticipation. So I think that's yeah. really what the problem was here. Everyone was so excited to see me on Dong City that they just had to wait 30 minutes longer. Shut down the entire friggin' process. Randy uh, broke the internet. Yeah. What's that? So yeah. you broke the internet. Thank you for joining. Better late than never for all of us. Thank you for everyone already logged in. Uh, as you can tell, Henry is not acting. He actually does have the coronavirus, and we're going to proceed and make him talk anyway. So um, we're going to go over just some MLB updates. Randy will fill you in because Henry and I had a show last week talking about it. A lot of what we said ended up coming true or variations of it. Um, and then we're going to get into our four most influential players ever in baseball. And then after that, we're going to build our all live team. So only players that we've seen live in a game, position by position, we'll go through it, share some stories about that. Um, we want to hear from you watching as well as we get through these segments to get your thoughts on everything. Um, we'd love for this to be as collaborative as possible. Well, we don't have actual baseball. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Randy, to give you an update, last week, Henry and I discussed the hypotheticals around this season, um, mm -hmm. starting with whether or not we thought it was going to happen and not limited to how it would happen and, and how we felt certain things had to go pre-arbitration, arbitration. Last week, Henry and I discussed. So let's start with a baseline for you as the guest here. First of all, do you think there will be a 2020 season at all? Yeah, I, I'm more optimistic than most, I think, when it comes to this, although the status of our, our friend Henry this morning makes me a little bit more cautious, but I think that we are nearing sort of the peak of this thing. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I, I'm not someone who researches numbers in that way. I do work for the news, however, so I follow this thing uh, pretty much every day of my life, every minute of my life. It's the only thing going on in the world uh, because it stopped our entire world. So uh, I would say that the season will start, but I'm looking – it's looking like more of like a June, July start date. And I would imagine it's a condensed season. I imagine a lot of double headers. I don't think there's any chance you play 162 games. I don't even think there's a chance you play a full playoffs. So uh, I know that they came up with an agreement the other day um, on, on payment and on arbitration and things like that, but I'd be really shocked if they could even get a hundred games in at this point. Yeah. So there's a few things to follow up here and Henry, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I thought we agreed last week though, that we both decided there would be a season. It would not be a full season and it was probably starting like early July. Is that what yeah. we had? To That's pretty do? much what we ended. I think the hundred game mark was kind yeah. of. Uh, and Randy, we had done the math. I had seen in a tweet, the Yankees had Yankees as an example, had 76 games from July 1st on naturally. Okay. We were able to, 
mainly with eliminating the all-star break and extending the season one week into game seven of the world series would be November 4th, which isn't mm-hmm. that unprecedented after, you know, mm-hmm. September 11th season. Um, that would get you to about 95 games. And Henry and I both feel very strongly. You need at least half of the season for it to be a legitimate season. So that's kind of where it is. And it looks like that's still on the table. I mean, if we, and we did Henry, another, another thing that we solved, we had a question about, it would take two weeks of spring training to restart the season. So we had said it would probably be about two, three weeks. And if you uh, add the coordination of, you know, getting everyone to report to spring training and then going from there to your actual stadium, wherever that may be, mm-hmm. probably we are looking at three weeks. So, um, yeah. So I think the players need that, or you're going to see a lot more injuries than usual too. I think that yeah. they need that time to, to specifically get their bodies ready, whether they're not already, but they still need that time to get into the swing of things, no pun intended, but they're going to need at least, I think, a two-week period for, to, to brace for that. Yeah, so we're looking at, in my mind, 90-95 game season if by June 15th, well, no, by like June 10th, this social distancing is lifted. Yeah. That's kind of the timeline. After that, then you start getting into the other things we've seen since our last show, which was Scott Boris saying that we should play through Christmas, which I think is ridiculous. Um, we have other people saying through Thanksgiving, which I think is also ridiculous. Yeah. And then we have other people, obviously, there's, you know, the season may not happen, which is still on the table. Um, but then we have these other ideas that have come out, and I want to get you, both of your thoughts on this. Um, playing just in like neutral site playoff locations, like in California and Florida or domes and things of that nature. I saw one rumor Yankees playing at the trop, which would make me very happy, but I still don't approve of it. So what are your (laughs) thoughts on, on these, all of these alternatives that have come out as I turn on my light over here? I like the idea of the first two games being at a neutral site. I think that makes a lot of sense um, financially. I think it's pretty cool to let, you know, teams in another place, um, experience that, you know, um, typically it's going to be in a warmer climate, but I don't think you can have an entire series in a neutral site. That's just unfair to the teams that make it there. And it's unfair to their fans like myself who go to 30 games a year. And then I can't see mm-hmm. my team in the world series. If they're there, you know, it's bullshit. Yeah. Like, I think that we, we know that the Yankees have a large fan base in Tampa, uh, in general. So I think if they had a playoff there, it would be like almost a home, uh, situation for the Yankees considering they play their spring training there a lot of people from New York like their friend Vince here moves to Florida later in life my only concern is Vince has a very poor record at the trop uh, when attending Yankees games I know <laughs> I want to avoid that situation yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a possible playoff situation um, I don't know about the I'm not going to complain about any sort of sports at this point if I can get anything at this point I will take it I'm not going to complain if the games aren't at home Henry I understand your point but we're almost a month now without sports I'm itching for something so if we had to play the sports at a neutral site I'll take it I'm not going to complain about sports and I say this now because it's not here but I won't complain about them for now wait till it happens again I will complain I promise but um, if, if I was a schedule maker for the major league baseball well maybe they are doing this but why aren't you just adjusting the schedule as you go at this point why aren't you just saying all right if the schedule if we can start the season june 1st somehow this is what it's going to be and if it's not june 1st start it at july 1st and then go from there i think if you started at july 1st you almost have to eliminate all interleague play i think that that's almost a, a i was gonna say yeah you you can shuffle the schedule where you get more divisional yeah. games and eliminate some of the games with you know the other car i think we play the the nl east this year yeah. Um, and the NL West? I, I, no, NL Central. Oh, okay. Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, um, we play the Pirates. Yeah. Um, and that, those are things we discussed too. Eliminate interleague. You're gonna have to cut the divisional games probably in half. Uh, but you can even make up the divisional games. I think in double headers. I think that there's ways you can get around that. We so the Yankees at least as an example naturally have three different two game series after July 1st anyway. So all okay. of those can be consolidated in double headers, and they all have yeah. built in off days. So. Yeah. Um, like the Pirates won, the Field of Dreams won, both Mets series are two game series. So um, all I forgot of, about the Field of Dreams one. Yeah, so all of those can be consolidated. Obviously, you can cancel the Field of Dreams one, Desperate Times, yeah. um, and the All Star break you can turn into one off day. You know, we don't need. There's no All Star break if you start July first anyway. No one's an All Star. See, that's what that's what you that's what you do. What you you take what the NFL does and say we're going to make this after the season. And we're going to put it at a, at a remote location like Tampa Bay and anyone can come and we can still do the home run derby, but it's going to be after the world series. And it'll be probably be more entertaining than the pro bowl ever was. Yeah. And if I'm the, if I'm, I rarely side with the owners on anything, but if I'm MLB, I'm saying you guys, we agree to a full year of contracts and ARB and pre-ARB. You have to play in this all-star game. If you're selected or a world baseball classic after the season in yeah. some warm weather site. I don't know. That's a lot to ask of the players. Is it though? They're only playing. They're playing uh, eighty games a, plus. It's a lot to ask. I I don't know. Just, I, we're talking about going so further into the season, which cuts into their off season time. I just, yeah, but in the Yankees' case, their off season time they just go and get like out of shape and and hurt anyway. So like what like Dylan Betances came back as like a cripple somehow after having his off season. Well, and Chapman came in, you know, looking like freaking. Oh, that's it. He, he, even if we start you know, by July, he'll still get hurt. IL with those arms. He's going to get hurt. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I like rubber band arm Chapman better than, you know, Jack Chapman. The Yankees are like the bad guys in Dodgeball the movie. <laughs> they're all like just. Purple jacked. Cobras? <laughs> yeah, they're jacked out of their minds. Like all they care about is throwing as hard as they can. And they're all just going to like it. Just I don't understand what's going on with that team. Well, they're not training for baseball. That's for sure. They're training to be uh, on World's Strongest Man. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to be like Magnus Samuelson or whatever that guy was who won World's Strongest <laughs> Man out of Sweden for like eight years in a row. Unbelievable. Yeah. Ryan, by the way, in the for, in the comments section's already already harassing the Yankees, but he did say uh, one thing that's worth discussing here. If you say you hypothetically have a 90 game season, everything goes off without a hitch. You have a normal postseason. Now obviously gets backed up a little bit. Is there any sort of asterisk? And this is the big topic with baseball right now, because in my mind, 2017 eight and 18 both have asterisks as far as winners. Um, you can't take away their title. It happened, but it wasn't legitimate. Is 2020 legitimate if you only if you're missing 70 games? Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I don't have any problem. Everyone's playing the same amount of games. Exactly. And the, 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 level field, the level field is still the same. The playing field is still leveled. I mean, um, nothing changes. Just the amount of games. I mean, the NBA had a shortened season not too long ago because of the lockout, and they started the games two months in on Christmas Day, and no one ever talks about the champion being diminished by playing less games in that instance. I think that's fine. Like, I, I, it, they still play half the season, like you guys said, for example. I think that everything is totally fine. 95 now, Braves, that was a shortened season too, right? Not like, only that, I don't want to hear shit about an asterisk. <laughs> the Astros don't fucking have one. I don't want to hear shit about it. That's my biggest reason I want a season. This is like 
every star on earth has aligned for the Yankees this year. If there's no season, it's like, I don't even know how to react to that. Yeah. Uh, and then you're talking about, I don't see, I'm still confused about this. Mookie Betts is probably the most interesting storyline to me now because he may never play a game as a Dodger. And if I'm not mistaken, he would become a free agent. He would be. Yeah. Do you reverse After that all that? Because no one's played a game yet. I, no, I mean, I, I don't know if the, like the transaction still stands, if like the Red Sox still has have those players that they received and the Twins as well. But I'm pretty sure no matter what, he's a free agent, whether the season happens or not. Right. I that's agree. The that's trade what the, stands. the trade stands because you have a lot of money involved too. So they agreed he would be a free agent, but how can you possibly let the Red Sox, especially after the Red Sox pulled it back once, you know, to make the yeah. trade better? How can you allow that to go through? I'm, I'm sure they have some sort of lawsuit to uh, compensate them accordingly because. I mean, let's be real. You can't just say don't don't make the trade because there's subsequent moves that happen after the trade is made, and there will be because of the financial flexibility they got. Good point. Yeah. So, I'm no lawyer. You know, I see plenty of law shows, but can you imagine the Dodgers fan base if they get screwed out of 2017, screwed out of 2018 because the other team's cheating, and now this year? They they basically trade away the Verdugo and their and their prospect package for nothing for Mookie Betts. They they'd have to be compensated somehow. Yeah, I agree. You can't just let that fly. It's totally unacceptable. Feldstein uh, clarifies. Michael Feldstein clarifies. Uh, 144 games in 1995. So it was a shortened season. Everyone forgot about it. Yeah, sign me up. I mean, that's not even 20 less games at that point. Right. Um, not unprecedented. I also think if we can fit. Like let's say one forty four to one, anything one one thirty or, or above, I think was that'll lend the argument to having a shortened season period. Just to show, you know, because how, how many guys really play over one hundred fifty games anyway? Right, I think oh, that, the Yankees yeah. none. Um, well, right, even if they're completely healthy, they're only playing one hundred forty nine games. But um, Boone will rest them constantly. I, I'm completely I all the conspiracy theories with this I'm completely on board with I think that they will use this as a test run to try out many things from rules to length of season to all sorts of stuff um, running into the CBA in another year after that so I uh, I am all on board with those home run a run sorry I know I just saw the same thing <laughs> what game is it on game five yeah game five. 2004 ALCS. Not a great series. No, I would turn that off immediately. Yeah. And speaking of history, let's get right into it. Um, so Twitter has been going around here with uh, the four most influential players as far as, um, you know, four most influential players in your life. You can interpret that however you want. <clears throat> Everyone who's watching, this will be good for you as, as well. Um, by the way, Leon, yeah, I think even the rotations look yeah. experiment. And that was something I wanted to touch on when we first, when you guys were first talking about the two-week thing. I think players can get up in two weeks easily. It's the pitchers that I'm worried about. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to make some sort of accommodation, whether it be added roster space or knowing your pitchers are going to throw less pitches the first few games because it's, you're asking a lot of pitchers. You are, and that's also why you can't screw too much with how the games are played. Like, you can't just do double headers constantly and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Right. Like, they still have to maintain their rotation and their routine. Um, but to your point, I do think you would have to extend the rosters. We talked about 30 the whole season. 
um, something that. like that, which uh, is another win for the players because that might <clears> give you guys some extra arb time. <laughs> that other so win for Aaron Boone, that's for sure. I would yeah. use thirty players. Period. I yeah. think when you're in a situation where you're going to be doing double headers a lot on weekends, especially you got to be able to have the arms to, to fill those innings. I agree. And then it lends to the new rule that you can't have more than 13 arms on the staff. They're going to probably have to get rid of that rule for the season and re- yeah. reinstate it uh, and everything along those lines. So let's get to this list. Cause my list kicks your guys list ass. For the, the four, the four inspirational oh, yeah. players. So let's clarify the rules first. <clears throat> Our next two segments here, we're going to kick it old school. Uh, first, we're going to discuss our four most influential players. Did not have to see them live. You don't. Have, they don't have to be on your team. Just whoever strikes you the most as you're in your baseball fandom. The four players. Why? How they impacted you? Why they impacted you? Why they're top four? And then we're after that going to get into our best live lineups. So in uh, rosters. So you have to have seen every single player on that list live. And then we'll talk about that. And we'll break that down. Um, and we would assume that all of those players are in their prime, even if you didn't see them in their prime. So as long as you saw them at any point in their career, we're taking the best versions of them and, uh, and putting it on that team. So four, <coughs> you can kick it off with the four most influential players. We'll start at number four. So number one being the most influential player ever for you. Number four being the fourth most influential player for you. Henry, who do you have at number four? I have Ken Griffey Jr., the kid. I just okay. think Griffey... You know, at that point, I was a teenager watching Griff. He made baseball cool, which is still something baseball has a problem with, you know, young kids. And you watch Griffey and everything about him was just fucking cool. His swing was cool. His smile was cool. He went to the home run derby with his hat backward. You know, he had that hip hop swag, hitting the home runs. Everything he did just seemed fucking cool. And it made me, you know, as a, as a young kid, want to watch the game. And I don't think there's a lot of players with that now. So I'm going with the kid. And the sweetest swing I think most of us have ever seen at this you? point. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean it's a great call with King Griffey Jr. Um, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm. A lot of these have developed as I grow, as I grew up, and um, I'm, I'm a journalist. I appreciate stories. So a lot of these are going to be based on stories that inspire me. So number four for me is going to be Yogi Berra. I think Yogi Berra as just a baseball player obviously was a legendary baseball player a legendary baseball figure had all the yogiisms the sayings but for me the coolest thing about yogi berra is that he served on d-day in world war ii yeah and he still went on to win 10 world series championships and become a great catcher but he literally stormed the beaches of normandy with those guys in world war ii and i, I believe it was 1944 don't quote me on that i apologize if i don't have the year exactly correct but i think like anyone these old timer guys that have an interesting story about war uh, and come back and be able to have a normal life, especially a, a great life like that. I, I, I just have nothing but respect for that. So for me, number four, Yogi Berra. I like that. Have you ever been to his museum? No. No, you got to go. Monmouth, New Jersey. I uh, I went and actually, oddly enough, uh, he signed, or Mel Allen was there randomly. Mel <laughs> Allen signed a book. <laughs> it's a very random story, but uh, yeah, it's got, I think his World Series rings were stolen or something, so he didn't have like all 10 or anything, but um, very cool museum anyway. Yeah, very, that's a good choice. Very influential guy. Mine oh, is so kind funny. of random, um, but it's also number four, and that is Kenny Lofton, and reason being, this is weird, because I hated the mid-90s Indians, as I'm sure, Henry, you did too. Um, that was a very big rival of the Yankees at the time, just because they were 
easily the two them and the Mariners were like the three best teams in the nineties in the AL, you know, at that back then. Um, Kenny Lofton though, I guess was everything I wasn't. <laughs> he was very fast, <laughs> very good defensively. He, he was the first like spark <laughs> I can remember. Uh, set the set the you know he paved the way for guys in my mind like Jose Reyes, like that type of baseball player. And he wore number seven, which is my favorite number. Um, so just for whatever reason, man, he was like one of my him and Joe Carter. But I only remember like a little bit of Joe Carter were my first non-Yankee like love of my life baseball players. Uh, so Kenny Kenny Lofton helped bring me into the sport. The other three guys uh, had more of an influence once that happened. So we'll go back to you, Randy. Who is your number three? Number three for me, I'm continuing with my theme of having great stories. Uh, I would have loved to have been a journalist in this time to just cover him and his his struggle and his fight to truly change how we view the game and how the game is played. But Jackie Robinson uh, changed baseball forever. And to me, that is enough to inspire me. Obviously, I, well, well before my time, much like Yogi Berra, but um, his story to me is the greatest sports story ever only because um, of what he did for the game. And uh, Henry, I'm sure you'll have a guy who you would argue is the greatest sports story ever, but it's a similar thing where he changed the game and, and started it, made it acceptable for people like him to play the game. And the game would be so much different now if that never happens. So number three for me is Jackie Robinson. Yeah, you uh, you definitely went with the wider scope there, which I <laughs> mine are very selfish choices. <laughs> um, but we're getting in the comment section, we're getting a lot of interesting interesting options a lot of people agreeing with you on Barra again Michael Feldstein brings up a good point he was culturally relevant like yeah. forever his entire yeah, it really, was. Um, it really was and then of course we're getting the early whispers of Roberto <clears throat> Clemente we'll see if anyone on on this show has him on their list uh and then you know we're uh, a lot of agreement on Griffey and Ken Griffey Jr. is my number three so just one off from Henry. Um, yeah, I think you captured it pretty well. It's really hard to describe. And I guess I'll start by asking you, Randy, do you remember like Griffey's prime? I know you obviously saw him, you remember him playing, but do you remember him like at his best? See, I'll give you a little quick brief about my baseball history. Baseball was my first love, but I didn't truly, my first memory was until my sister got was born in 96. And I remember the Yankees winning the World Series in 96, but I very, like very vaguely remember um, so a lot of those things, I, I know a lot about the Yankees in that time, but beyond mm -hmm. that, I learned later in life. So I don't, I don't remember experiencing yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. in his prime at that time. So Ken Griffey Jr. was, in my opinion, larger than life, more than any other baseball player who has ever existed since him. <laughs> so I don't think anyone else has influenced baseball more than Griffey in his prime. And I'll share more because more on Griffey later, but, um, it's really hard, and Henry, you can probably agree with this, it's really hard to quantify exactly how popular he was in his day. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about being in a little big league and uh, and fever, and um, summer catch. Like, he was just everything about the sport, the swing, the swag, his appearance. I mean, people had Mariner hats, which you don't even have today. I had a Mariner I had the green, like that teal green Mariner jersey only because of Griffey. Yeah, I wanted that hat so badly, but I also couldn't like bring because I hated the Mariners. Had really hated Griffey ex when he played the Yankees, but no other. Like I loved watching him play, but he just murdered everyone. At I, will, I will say, at the time, MLB did a fantastic job at marketing him. Yeah, way they, better than today. They saw his stardom. They saw what he meant, what he was, 
and they marketed the hell out of them. And like Leon said in the, in the, in the comments just now, it is the shoes. His logo is iconic. Yeah. It's the swing. It was, I mean, I, like I said, I didn't experience it like at the time, but obviously you know the history and I mean, it's hard to be, have that impact on the game that he had. The shoes, the video games, he was definitely yeah. the baseball version of Michael Jordan, even if he's not the best player we've ever seen. I um, remember the backwards hat during the home run derby. That's what I remember. It's like, yeah. that's always what I remember. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, endless time. I mean, I, you know, I got his autograph and his, and his little structure back there. So uh, anyway, Henry, who's your number three? My number three is Kurt Flood. Without, now you got Feldstein pick that, and I did not think any of us were going to have that, so I'm impressed. Without Kurt Flood, you don't have the monopoly that is baseball now. Um, 1969, refusing to be traded, suing the league, going to the Supreme Court, you know, he was ultimately blackballed, but players should, they owe a debt of gratitude to uh, Kurt Flood, and, and I think that uh, he changed the landscape of, of baseball for players forever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't argue that there. You I know, told you I, when we before we started that my list was kind of boring because it's a historical list. You know? Yeah. So, like, I, mine's immature, juvenile, and selfish. So, don't, I mean, don't worry about it. <laughs> like I said, guys on my list, I just thought changed the game. Um, yeah. In so many ways, more than just the actual game. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was the pop icon. Kurt Flood was, you know, the reason we have free agency now. And then the other two guys, you know, you'll see. Yeah. Kurt Flood, Randy mentioned Jackie Robinson already, you know, Branch Rickey, guys like that made the sport. Uh, just a matter of whether they were most influential for you, um, which now I, and so now we're, we're on the number two here. Uh, I'll kick this one off. I'm going to go here with Don Mattingly and reason being he was my first, first love period like that that is the guy the first time i went to Yankees <laughs> in 1995 uh as an eight-year-old kid that was the guy i was going to see and of course he was benched that day a three nothing went over the orioles um but he and i did eventually see him once i went to a second game in 95 it's the only time i ever saw him live but that he was the Yankees when the Yankees had nothing, which is hard for anyone to believe in any era, except there was that one period throughout mm -hmm. the 80s and into the early 90s where the Yankees were just irrelevant as far as uh, uh, as far as winning anything went. And Don Mattingly was a perennial MVP candidate until, you know, his eyes and his back started to go on him. I so got that's a my Don guy. Mattingly story. Um, back in the 80s, my uncle... Um, no one, my my dad, no one was into sports in my family. My uncle was. My uncle was also a drunk. And we would go to the bleachers, $5 games. He was the one that introduced me to baseball. I don't remember the exact year, but it was 80-something. I was I was a kid. And Don Madeline comes up, and my uncle's telling me about him. He's drinking his Coors Light, telling me how good he is. And then he looks at me and says, that motherfucker is why these tickets are $5 and not cheap. <laughs> Probably right. That was the only drawback then. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like like you said, Don Manley was the only draw in the yeah. 80s. I wanted to be a first baseman so badly watching him, and it, eventually it happened not because I was as good as Don Mattingly, because I was so unathletic. That's the only thing I could play. Mm -hmm. um, but I played it well. And Don Mattingly, to me, was like the, you know, he really kind of defined first base for me, just being a, such a gold. I mean, he was so good defensively when he was healthy. 
Um, and then, of course, that home run in in the 95 game to ALS, ALDS, for my money, is the greatest broadcasting call of all time. I'll fight that argument until the day I die from Gary Thorne. Um, hitting the home run with the hold on to the roof call right after Ruben Sierra homer to tie it, Mattingly homers to put the Yankees on top. They win that game in extra innings and, of course, lose the series. But uh, that, for my money, Gary Thorne's my favorite broadcaster of all time, and that is my favorite broadcasting moment of all time. And single-handedly, well, not single-handedly, along with, like, Mike and the Mad Dog, mm-hmm. that is what influenced me to go into broadcast journalism. Nice. So that's why he's so influential to me. Uh, yeah, Randy, you have it number two, not to, not to foreshadow here. No, it's okay. I mean, I think Don Mattingly totally represents an era of Yankees baseball that no one even thinks about because there was such a lack of success in that mm-hmm. time. And my dad always was just, my dad's favorite player uh, was Thurman Munson. And when Thurman Munson died, he had obviously a lack of favorite player. And, and he just always told me like Don Mattingly, not a slouch by any means, never could be Thurman Munson to me, but became sort of his favorite player for a while. And he always felt bad that his career kind of got sandwiched between two World Series runs where right where, when he started, they went the year before and right when it ended, they went the year after. So he always felt bad about that. But Don Mattingly totally represents an entire era of Yankees fans. So I totally understand that. Uh, my number two is a guy that me and my grandfather actually watched a repeat of him do something totally remarkable given his circumstance. And I'm sure you guys maybe you thought about him in this, but uh, Jim Abbott was born without a right hand, obviously. And he threw a no-hitter for the Yankees in 1993, a little bit before my baseball understanding. But when uh, David Cohn threw his perfect game, fun fact, I missed that because my parents took me to go see the movie Lake Placid, that horrible alligator movie. (laughs) And (laughs) when I came back, my grandfather was watching my little sister and he goes, you're not going to believe this. Cohn, you pushed your perfect game. We're like, stop messing with us, old man. You're just messing with us. And the game was over. Like, it was like such a quick game, obviously. It was a perfect game. Yeah. And um, and I was like, I can't believe I missed a perfect game. But then for some reason, like Yankees Classics or whatever it was, but they were re-showing Jim Abbott's no-hitter like a week later. He's like, you got to watch this. Guy only has one hand. I'm like, what do you mean he has one hand? How can he even throw baseball? How can he play baseball? Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was the coolest thing that this guy literally had his glove like on his nub and he would throw and yeah. switch it. And then like, that was the coolest thing ever. When, especially when you're a kid, like you, you think like you can do anything, right? Like I, I wanted to be shortstop at the Yankees. I was like, this guy can be a pitcher with one hand. I can do anything I want. Um, that was just like super inspiring. And I always remember being like, well, if this guy only has one hand and he made it to the big and played 10 years in the major leagues, why can't I do anything? So for me, number two is Jim Abbott. That's a good one. That is a really good one. And uh, that no hitter might be one of the more underrated impressive feats to ever exist. Just the fact Jim Abbott was in the majors with one arm and then he threw no hitter when no hitters weren't like commonplace is pretty incredible. Henry, what's your number two? Uh, My number two is Jackie Robinson for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, You know, like Randy said earlier, he, Jackie Robinson, without him, there's no, uh, there's no people that look like me playing the game. Yeah, well, um, well, you'll get to another guy who's probably more like you, right? Yeah, Henry, why don't you keep it going here? (laughs) Let's go into number one right here and see who that is. I mean, anyone who knows me knows my love affair for all things and anything to do with this man. They know my affinity, everything. Um, Our logo may or may not be tailored after this swing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, my number one <laughs> is Roberto Walker Clemente. He is the GOAT. He is everything I achieved to be as a human. Um, 
I never got to see him play, but as a human, I achieved to be everything that he is. Um, he means to Latinos what Jackie Robinson means to African-Americans. Um, there is a campaign to try to retire his number. I'm all on board for that. There was a movie behind it. I'm all about it. You guys knew this was going to be my number one, but I don't give a shit. So Roberto Clemente, my number one, my GOAT. How he doesn't have a major motion picture, by the way. Beyond yeah. that. The story is, is phenomenal. Unbelievably concerning almost to me. Um, like Bad Enough 42 just came out in the last 10 years. But yeah, I mean, Clemente, even right down to his death, is like such an amazing man and story. It's just, it's such a missed opportunity to me. Um, and the impact he still has on that city. If you go to Pittsburgh, you can still see uh you know his his presence is still very much there and obviously henry has ties to the museum there which is an incredible experience if you get the chance to go when whenever the world goes back to normal but i mean the, the man's life is is truly remarkable i mean it's it's very much a unique situation where no one else can almost come close to the, to the things that he did and then how his life ended and how inspirational he is yeah for sure randy why don't you keep it right there i i think by the way i'm gonna make a bold prediction here we probably have the same number one so why don't you start it off and then i'll just piggyback off of it it feels less important after henry's almost but uh yeah, henry uh, covered all of the historical context and the important thing now let's go to our selfish that, one that's vince's fault he knew who my number one was gonna be <laughs> save me for last do i even need to say who it is you can see him over this shoulder, Ooh, you can see him yeah. over this shoulder. My childhood hero, the man I wanted to be for the longest time, Derek Sanderson Jeter is who I wanted to be. I wanted to be the shortstop in the New York Yankees. I wanted to wear number two in any sport I ever played. I wanted to to be like him in every aspect. I wanted to work hard in everything. I wanted to never get in trouble, at least you know that we know of. But <laughs> I wanted to carry myself the way he carried himself. I wanted to be clutch. I wanted. To, I thought being clutch was the coolest thing ever. I thought like showing up in a big moment when your team needed you the most, your nuts were just bigger than everyone else's. Like that's what I wanted. I was like, I wanted everyone to want me up at the end of the game. Like we need to, someone to come through. I want that guy up, and that, that's what I wanted to be. And I wanted, to, I wanted to be the guy that the other team didn't want up in a big spot. And that's, I think, very much what he was um, for me. And, uh, you know, I was – I didn't get to play shortstop when I was a kid. I, I had a – I played on a team that was pretty bad, but I was one of the better players, so they put me in third. So I had too good of an arm, but I fought to wear number two. I was like, I can't play short, but I'm wearing number two. So um, I almost made a tie here because I love Scott Brocious as well. And I always wanted to try to do the bare hand scoop and throw when I played yeah. third, but the coaches would be like, damn it, Hammond, you're not Scott Brocious. Stop trying to play like the pros. <laughs> so like, all right, I'll just continue to be, be my, like my guy Jeets. Um, I imitated him in the backyard. I tried to be like his swing. I tried to perfect the in and out, uh, the opposite field single swing. I, I never tried to be a power guy. I always just tried to, to, I was never tall and skinny either like him, but I always try to do the jump throw. There's just like there's so many iconic moments of him, obviously him getting in the hall of fame, you're reminded of those highlights, those things that like, he really did do that. And like, Oh yeah, his defense isn't the greatest ever. I don't give, I don't give a shit about that. To me, he gave me so much happiness and joy in my life and brought me so many memories that I'll never forget with my family that uh, Derek Jeter, by far the person I wanted to be when I grew up and still the guy I look up to. Did you make a, uh makeshift gift baskets just the case <laughs> see my parents never told me about that they kept that hidden from me so i learned about those later in life i um i don't think unless you are i'm gonna get on my 27 ring soapbox right now by the way oh. i don't think 
unless you have ever grown up as a Yankee fan and have seen an athlete. And, you know, there's other cities. Chicago will relate to this with Jordan. Um, any any dynasty is going to relate to this. Red Sox fans, to a lesser extent, will probably be able to relate to this with Ortiz. Unless you've had a player in your city win you a handful of championships, like Derek Jeter was instrumental in doing, you are never going to fully understand the magnitude that that player had on that team. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. to that fan base. And that's what Derek Jeter is on, on crack because he was never great at anything except intangible things like being clutch, right? You can't define why Jeter, you can show a highlight tape of why Jeter was clutch, but you can't really define it. Like if you look at his playoff numbers, yeah. Yeah. If you look at his playoff numbers, he was just, he was just Jeter in all situations and that's what made him clutch. Right. But that's the biggest thing when I see the arguments about, well, he was probably the worst defensive shortstop ever. Okay. But he played shortstop till he was 40, which no one else yeah. does. Uh, like you can, you're never going to understand the magnitude of it unless two things had to happen. One is Jeter had to be clutch and have several big moments, which he has. You can make a top 10 highlight reel and they're just as good as he also has those clutch moments defensively. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The jump throw was not a thing until Jeter invented it. <laughs> Um, at least not a consistent thing. The, the thing that was great about Jeter is he beat you in so many ways. He wasn't a guy who just hit walk-off home runs. He was a guy who hit opposite field singles. He was a guy who was out of position intentionally to make tosses to get guys out of home plate. He was a guy who can go into the hole and make a huge play. He's a guy who can go into the stands and make a huge play. He's a guy who can you know go five for five on the day that he hits his 3,000th hit and have a home run as his 3,000th hit, a game I was at. So Literally got chills as you said that. Like, yeah. That's one of my favorite oh. memories. Like, these are all – it was, as Michael K. put it his when he – last Yankee game, walk-off hit. Oh. Yes, his I was going to say. game period, walk-off hit. Mm-hmm. As Michael K. put it, when he had the walk-off against the Orioles at home, his last at-bat at, uh, at Yankee Stadium, it was a storybook career. And that's really what defined – Did you have any doubt? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. What was, the call? Yeah. what was the call when some? That was his call when he hit the walk-off single against the Orioles in his last game. He goes, "Derek Jeter, we're fantasy becomes that, reality." Just, line, did yeah. you have any doubt? Yep, like, and, that, when, it, and when he hit the home run for the three thousandth, it was history with an exclamation point. Yeah, both it's, great calls, by the way, by Michael K. It's almost like, wouldn't it be cool if this happened and then it happened? You're like, holy shit! Of course it was going to happen. It's Derek Jeter. You couldn't have written it, right? And as soon as they weren't intentionally walking him in at that in that at bat, even as a forty-one-year-old or whatever he was, I was like, "It's a walk-off." There's like, there's no, it's just that's just what was going to happen, and that was Jeter's career. And not, and he happened to align, Randy, to you a little lesser extent, but for me, he happened to align with my entire fandom. <laughs> I started watching baseball when Jeter got called up. Uh, my first games were when <clears throat> Jeter was a rookie. My first walk-off I ever saw was Jeter against the Red Sox. My friend, I was at Jeter's 3,000th hit game. I was at his last game at the Trop. I was there for his last world championship AL clincher. Like, my entire fandom aligns with Derek Jeter's career just from an age standpoint. The first autograph, or I got his autograph spring training of his rookie year in, in Lauderdale back when they played there. So, like, my entire fandom just revolves around Derek Jeter's timeline. So... 
pretty easy. Well, I mean, to, to me, to an extent, like I said, I don't remember baseball before 96. And I mean, that was Jeter's first full season with the Yankees. So yeah, when 2014 you know. rolls around, I was like, I don't know baseball without this man in my life. So like, I, I remember being super emotional because obviously like my dad's really emotional in sports. I matter to me more than they should. But like, I legit watched baseball for 18 years. And I, number two was always the shortstop of the Yankees. And I didn't want that to not be the, the case and the guy who I wanted to be when I grew up. But unfortunately, that that was the thing uh, with that. But um, <clears throat> uh, Leon brought up an earlier, a good point earlier where Kobe Bryant won five titles with the Lakers and has a similar impact with Los Angeles. Obviously, uh, devastating call. what happened to him a couple months ago. And I won't get into it because I don't want to get us out again. But uh, I'm spoiled as a child because I also happen to be a Lakers fan where I have two players who helped win these teams that I root for five championships at the same time, basically. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Jeter and Kobe is a good comparison, but also what I look back with to with baseball, and this might be a bigger problem with baseball, but how many guys wear number two now who play shortstop because of Derek Jeter, they looked up to him. They wanted to be like him. Maybe it wasn't just because his ability, but who he was, he was a superstar. He was cooler. He was like, it was not, it wasn't cool like Griffey, but he was still cool. Like yeah. he was a cool guy playing baseball. Um, and to me, this is a flaw with baseball, but I still think he's the face of the league <laughs> and he's been gone for five years. Yeah. Two uh, Bregman and, uh, and Trey Turner right off, right off the bat. Those are guys who idolize him. You had a guy who played his entire career and retired and wore number two because of Jeter and Tulowitzki. Yeah. That shows you how long, you know, how deep and how long his impact is. And you're yeah. right. Randy. I mean, that shouldn't happen, but it, it, I, it, Jeter's still one of the faces as an owner now, especially he's still one of the faces yeah. of the game. And yeah, MLB and needs uh, MLB needs to hire Popeye's marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> um, before before we move on Twitter from Jeter, just to give you an idea of how much he meant to me in my life, my fiance is sitting in the other room, and if someday we're lucky enough to have a child, I will name him after Derek Jeter, whether she likes it or not. Right, babe. I, I say uh, <laughs> go get go get Taylor. I want to see that shit. I want to <laughs> go get Taylor. No, oh. she, <laughs> Taylor, you're being some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> gonna, are you gonna let me name my son after Derek Jeter no. yeah she said never so well, you've been rejected. You're gonna tell <laughs> but it's gonna happen whenever and the baby Derek Henry <laughs> Derek Henry that's off a pretty good Titans running back I don't know if I want that Derek Henry. but we might be able to do something with Sanderson in there we'll, we'll, we'll make it work either yeah, there way you go. one of my future kids is gonna have named after him in some way so <clears throat> we can move that's on good. Well, this uh, Jeter Love Fest is a good transition into our final topic here. And uh, let's get right into it. So, again, we're going to do an all-live. Did you, did you get your number one? What's that? Did you get your number one? Yeah, Jeter. Yeah, it was there. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, we'll get right into it here. We can start uh, in the outfield. <coughs> Just to reiterate one more time, players that we have seen live in a game um, and just our, our best possible lineup. We'll start in left field. For me, that is Mike Trout. I just saw him last year for the first time live. He hit a home run and stole a base. He also made a routine error in center. Wait, uh, that's left field, though. What's that? You said left field. Yeah, well, he's played left field. I can't go with primary <laughs> position because I got a different guy in center. Cheating he's bastard. played left. That's, it's perfectly legitimate. That, that's fudging the numbers. Well, you know, I didn't tell Trout to play multiple positions. But yeah, I'm sticking him in left, and uh, fucked up because my bench is my bench because I was stuck. Yeah, you know, you're I, allowed I to do your answer if you want to, but uh, I'm not taking Trout out of my lineup. I'm gonna keep mine. 
Okay. Well, let's go to, let's go to you, Henry. Who do you have in left that you feel is unfair now? Um, my left field, I have Barry Bonds. Okay. Well, I've got him in right field as a spoiler alert. So. Well, that, that's why I'm saying, because I would have moved him to right field and had one of my bench players playing left field, because even though he was on my rival, I think he's one of the greatest hitters I've ever seen. All right. Well, so you've got officially, though, you've got uh, Bonds in left. Got bonds in early left. Bonds there. Yeah. Uh, all right. And I've got Trout in left. Who do you have, Randy? Well, mine feels way less more uh, impactful than yours. Uh, I've also created this as like a lineup as if I was creating a lineup. So yeah, I'm trying not to be in the order they're hitting too. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, I also try not to be a complete homer because most of my guys are, are Yankees. I've been to many Yankee games more, more so than any other um, batting eighth in left field is Houston Astros left fielder, George Springer. Okay. Hate, yeah. Hate his team. Hate him. Hate that he went to UConn, but he's a good player. Yeah. It's easy to be a good player when you know it's coming. Yeah, yeah. true. And um, <laughs> yes, Mike, I uh, I did see Trout in Cincinnati. That's a, he's got a hell of a memory. Uh, yeah, that is where he made the error, hit the home run, and stole a base, and the Reds won. I got free pizza, and uh, Castillo struck out 11 that game. So uh, who do you have in center, Henry? This is why I say it was unfair, because I would have moved guys around. In center field, I have Trout. <clears throat> As Who much as I, as Trout, as much as I love Griffey, um, I think when his career is over, Mike Trout's going to be the greatest player I ever laid eyes on. So, by the way, for the record, Henry's complaining because he has Mike Trout in left, <laughs> or Barry Bonds in left, and Mike Trout in center. I'm just throwing that out there. Let me tell yeah. you, doing this exercise, um, it made me realize how fortunate I am to have been able to see a lot of baseball. Um, I, I, you know, earlier on with my uncle who was alive, when he was alive, I, we did about 40 games together. Um, I had a half a season ticket plan. Then my father-in-law, who's a Met fan, has a partial season ticket plan. So I was always going with him when it was City Field and now Chase, um, the other way around, Chase Stadium, now City Field. I, um, compiling this list, I realized how fortunate I have been and how many wonderful players and games I have witnessed. So this was a pretty cool exercise. Randy and I were yep. talking about that right before you had come on before the show started. And I was saying, <coughs> you know, Randy's at a little bit of a disadvantage because he's younger than us. And I would venture to guess, I, I bet our lineups are probably fairly similar, but I think that you've probably been to even more games than I have. So, but that was my takeaway too. When I was talking to him, like, I couldn't believe until I started going through this exactly how many unbelievable, like first ballot Hall of Famers I've seen in real life. My center fielder being one of them, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, so yeah, Griffey is my center fielder. Now here's a fun story about Griffey. I have I saw him once, and it was 1996, May 14th, which for Yankee fans probably rings a bell. That was Dwight Gooden's no hitter. So the only game I ever saw Griffey <laughs> playing, he goes 0 for 3, I think, with a walk, and he reached on error. But my story from that is that we were late to that game. We came in at the end of the top of the first. And as we're approaching getting into the stadium, we hear this loud roar from the crowd. And I'm thinking like, shit, the Mariners are probably already winning. <laughs> like someone homered because everyone in their lineup just hits home runs constantly. And it was actually because they ruled a Griffey grounder to Tino in error. Um, 
instead of a hit. And I think the crowd was <laughs> sarcastically cheering because it didn't give Griffey a hit. Uh, and then, of course, it ended up being huge because the Yankees ended up throwing a no-hitter that, that game. But I was terrified of Griffey my entire childhood. Uh, that was the only time I saw him live and he didn't get a hit. So, <laughs> But he's my center fielder. Henry, or uh, Randy, did you give a center fielder? I, I didn't. I did not get my center fielder in. I'm not lucky enough to have seen Mike Trout or uh, Ken Griffey Jr. play in an actual game. Uh, my guy's no slouch either, though. Uh, AL MVP, Boston Red Sox, Mookie Betts, batting okay. sixth in my lineup. Nice. I've seen Betts a few times. Yeah, that. I mean, not. Who knows how his career is going to end? Right now, I think he's undisputed, indisputably the second best player, position player in baseball. So. I mean, I, right now you're you're looking at a trend with him where it's one year down, one year up, and uh, yeah, you can make a case. Well, that, yeah, uh, Yelich, I guess, can make a case. So it's not indisputable, but yeah. you can make an argument he is. Yeah. I mean, once he gets protection in the lineup, obviously he performs better. He's not the kind of guy who can just be your only offensive weapon like a trout, but still a really good player in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Not really that that controversial opinion, I don't think. But for sure. Well, speaking of controversial, let's uh, finish up our outfield here. My right fielder is Barry Bonds. And as Mike had pointed out earlier, <laughs> the one game I saw Barry Bonds was at Yankee Stadium in 2002. Fun fact about 2002, the only two games I saw were Yankees-Angels, Yankees-Giants, and the Angels and Giants happened to play in the World Series that year. But um, oh. I went to the Jason Schmidt-Ted Lilly pitcher's duel, and by pitcher's duel, wow. I mean Barry Bonds hit it into outer space in that first inning. If you ever Google, it's still the furthest home run I've ever seen in my life, live or, or otherwise. Uh, more than halfway up the upper deck in old Yankee Stadium in right. And then uh, Nick Johnson hit a <laughs> wall-scraping three-run homer to tie it. It goes all the way to the ninth, tied at three. And Mariano Rivera's pitching. And uh, and Alfonso Soriano playing second base makes an error. Giants score a run. So that was the first time I ever saw Mo lose a game. And the Yankees lost 4-3. Rob Nen got the save for the Giants. So that was my only Barry Bonds experience. Way different than Griffey because he hit the hell out of that ball. <laughs> Just unbelievable. It, it was crazy. Anyway, Henry, who, who's your right fielder? My right fielder and future Hall of Famer, um, Ichiro. That's, I was very torn on Ichiro in this exercise. Ichiro... Um, he played for the Yankees. He played against the Yankees. He's killed the Yankees. Um, he's something special. I wish he was around the team so he can show them how to stretch more and stop lifting so many mm-hmm. goddamn weights. But uh, <laughs> he was, was fun to watch. Um, glad we got to see him when we did. Yeah. Uh, probably the best player on my lineup as well. Leading off for me in my right fielder is Ichiro Suzuki as well. Uh, I went to a three-game series against the Mariners at Yankee Stadium. Uh, in an effort to see Mariano Rivera pitch one last time before his career ended. And in those three games, Ichiro had 12 hits. So uh, <laughs> he lived up to the hype. Most of them were singles. I think he had one double. But I was going to say, was... were they like five infield singles? <laughs> no, he actually, were, a couple of them were actually hit in the gap, but he only seemed to get a single out of them. But uh, yeah, 12 hits, hits out of, I believe, 15, 16 at-bats. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was awesome. And probably one of the best players on my list. So I challenge anyone watching this show right now, I swear to God, and I am not often wrong on baseball games for whatever reason I've seen live. I saw Ichiro play as a Yankee in 2013 and he hit a walk-off. And I cannot find this clip 
anywhere on the internet, no matter how hard I try. So if anyone could find that walk-off, I think it was either a walk-off single or like some like infield ground out or it was something boring, but it was a walk-off nonetheless. And it was hit by Ichiro. And I'm pretty sure it's the only time I've seen Ichiro live, but he did not make it over Barry Bonds. So uh, now we can go into the infield here. Third base, Randy and I were talking about this too, Henry. We, I am setting the over-under at two and a half as far as players that we will be unanimous on at a position. And I think third base might be one of them. No. So, all right. Well, now the under is looking good. Let's start with you, <laughs> mystery man. Who is your, who is your third all, I want to show you the lack of respect I get from people. Sandra just texted me. She has this uh, thing that she calls me bougie. So she says, I love you and you're even bougie on the podcast and when you're sick and you're drinking Fiji. <laughs> That's an um, so where were we? I'm sorry. Third base. Third base was a toss up for me. Third base was hard for me. Um, I didn't want to be a homer. Um, and as talented as this guy was, I kind of hate him. So I did not go where I probably should have. I went with the guy who was better defensively, um, not as good offensively, but is still a Hall of Famer in his own. I went with Adrian Beltre. Hmm. Okay. You know, I don't know if I ever saw Beltre, now that I think about it. Um, <clears throat> I have to think about that. That's, I, mean, I, I, I can't fault Beltre that. Smooth with the glove, man. So smooth. And he's not a small dude. Like, he's a, a relatively larger dude, and, you know, he was just so slick with it. He was one of the first third basemen I saw who had like a bazooka arm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like now, like Machado has it. Uh, we see it a few. Like a few guys can throw like from their and knees. Out territory. Accurate bazooka arm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Belter is one of the first guys I remember who just like he could throw it from anywhere in any position, and it was like 100 miles per hour. He could uh, like yeah. falling and just you know yeah wrist and right on Marvel top a marvel of a talent randy who's your third baseman so i'm actually really proud of this one because i don't have a whole lot of variety and a whole lot of like legendary players like you guys have so uh the first baseball game i ever went to was on july 6th of the year 2000 the yankees played the baltimore orioles and playing third base for the orioles was cal ripping jr yeah. so i'm gonna go with the hall of famer one of the best uh shortstops third baseman to ever play the game many, many people gave that, me crap right? Many people gave me crap because he was he's better than Jeter, whatever. He played third that day, so I'm putting him at third. He pulled the Vince. <laughs> I did not pull a Vince. He played third that day. He pulled the Vince. <laughs> I, have and I, no can't put, I cannot it. put the other guy that you did not mention either in my lineup, but yeah. I didn't want to do that either. So. I don't have a problem with it. He played third. You're right. That, that's how it works. Yeah, I think um, as, long, as long as he played in the game you watched, that's the only thing. If he, he was on the bench that day, then that doesn't count. But Vince is no, going to be the guy he thought we both were going to choose. I am. I can't believe I'm the only one who picked him, but I'm putting uh, A Rod's my third baseman. <laughs> I can do it. Positions. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got a lot of memories of A-Rod, live and otherwise, um, but the one I think my biggest takeaway is that he, I have been to one Yankees-Red Sox game at Fenway, so I've been to two games at Fenway, but only one was Yankee-Red Sox, and he homered that game, which was probably my favorite A-Rod home run I saw live. Manny also homered that game for the record, but the Yankees won. It's really all that matters. Do you ever go to Fenway for a Yankee win, by the way? I don't know if you've ever you experienced this. I've never been to Fenway yet. Okay, so yeah, when only only Fenway, Fenway game I've been to was the Yankees one. It was great. It has to be a Yankees Red Sox game, and the Yankees mm -hmm. have to win. It is a funeral <laughs> after the mm -hmm. game. 
dead mm -hmm. silence. It's the greatest thing ever. I love it. So my favorite great. time in Boston is when no one talks. A great trolling opportunity then. Yeah, exactly. The game I went to, they won 2 nothing, and the only reason they won is Didi hit a pesky pole home run. So they were super mad about that one. Like it wrapped around the pole. Yeah, yeah it was the first of a doubleheader in 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah, this would this was in like 2006, I think. Um, but anyway, so I've got A-Rod at third. Let's move over to shortstop. I was expecting controversy, but now I'm not so sure. I it, Mine was Cal Ripken, so I'm not far off from you, Randy. Uh, I saw him once, and it was, like I said, the first game I ever went to. Mike Mussina pitched for the Orioles, and um, Yankees won 3 nothing. and Cal Ripken, I believe, went hit the second game. What's that? Put some respect on his name, Hall of Famer. Yes. Very boring game for the record. Like, super boring. But me, again, I was like seven or eight. The kid next to me asked his father um, if the Orioles had scored yet. And, like, I guess I was a little more advanced at that point because I could look at the scoreboard and, like, knew what was happening. So I just shouted at him. I was like, nope. And the two guys next to me, like, started cracking up and gave me a high five. I was like my welcome to being a New York fan moment because I heckled some little Baltimore kid. Anyway. Um, so Randy, who do you, uh, dare I ask, who do you have at shortstop? <laughs> yeah, not a surprise. I have Didi Gregorius. I'm kidding. I don't have Didi Gregorius. I have Derek Jeter. Not, not a surprise to anyone. Probably uh, I've seen him several times. I saw him the, I think his third to last game at Yankee Stadium. It was the closest I could get to seeing him in his last game. He went two for four in his last at bat. He hit one of the warning track and I swore it was like gone. I celebrated like it was the greatest oh. thing ever and it, it wasn't gone. It sucked. But I, I specifically went to the Bleacher Creatures so I could either do the Derek Jeter. It was a great time. Uh, Taylor recorded me to show my friends if I was crying or not, which inevitably happened at some point. But yeah, Derek Jeter is a shortstop. Probably the chalk of the century for me on that one. Nice. Henry, who do you have at short? Derek Jeter. I don't think there's a question. Um, I'll, wow. All right. I'll, I'll go out and fight and say Derek Jeter was better than Kyle Ripken. I think that's a good argument. But It is a good Derek, argument. Derek I'm Jeter. not opposed to Jeter winning that argument, but in my mind, if you look at the numbers, I'm like, I got to give Kyle Ripken some respect there. Um, oh, of course. I mean, it's Kyle Ripken. Yeah. Second base was the hardest decision for me, I think. Second base and catcher were really hard for me to choose. Second base, though, I'm going to go. I looked at his numbers. They're actually way better than I thought career-wise. I thought he was kind of like a shitty Hall of Famer, but he's not. Robbie Alomar Jr. Um, uh, saw him. What's that? So Robbie was great. I, well, I know, and he's obviously a Hall of Famer, but I thought his offense wasn't as good as it was for some reason because I remember his, like, platinum defense. His umpire spit game is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, He gave John Hirschbeck a mouthful. Literally. Um, from his toes, it just came all <laughs> Yeah, so this will make Jays fans happy, although I saw Alomar on the Indians. A 12-6 uh, Yankee win. Hideki Arabu started that game, and uh, Yankees won anyway. But um, that's that's my Alomar experience. He's my second baseman. Randy, yeah, yeah uh, one of the more difficult decisions I made, and just for the sake of not being a homer, uh, I didn't choose the Yankee in this situation, just the friend to have some variety, but uh, I went with Dustin Pedroia, um, a staple for one of those Red Sox teams for a long time and a really good player, obviously hurt by injuries for the last couple of years, but um, one of one of the Boston fans' favorites, and I, 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 they love that guy, and uh, obviously a really good player in his own right. What about you, Henry? My guy kicked both of you guys' ass, and it's Robinson Carroll. Well, that was the guy I was debating. No later. 
<laughs> it's not yeah, it's that, not a bad that was one he was one of the guys I was debating between Cano was still one of the more underrated players for his entire career wish he would have still with the Yankees I think his uh the back end of his career would have been different um mm-hmm. I think he would have padded the stats a little more and you know had an he argument. would have been in Monument Park that's for sure he would have had a larger platform too I think people would be more cognizant of exactly the type of career he's having um, Although I think that that like whole not hustling thing would have still followed him for a while. I don't know if it would have boded well for him. Oh, I, I think a lot of that was overblown though. He, he was so smooth. Well, watch it's, it, it, it's it's his demeanor. It's not that he's lazy. Oh, you know, I, I agree with you, but I just think that like playing with Jeter and then after Jeter, they kind of expect a certain type of hustle, and he probably still would have been uh, criticized for that. I think Cano has probably the best arm I'd seen live. Like Cano's arm is ridiculous. From second, I love I, I love his swing too. I still think he had a such a sweet swing. Beautiful. That, oh, that lefty swing with its all the I motion he had beforehand. I thought he could play third. I still think he can play third base. I think he can make that transition pretty smooth. By the way, I forgot to do this before we started, but here are the players who did not make my team. Manny Ramirez. I think we're doing this now. I'm just yeah. I'm gonna throw this out there. It's the one moment I get to be an extreme Yankee homer, and you'll figure out why in a second here. Uh, these are my snub list to, to you know. So if you're thinking that the, it's gonna be the rest of my lineup, you're wrong. Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, Chris Sale, Dustin Pedroia, Edgar Martinez, Tino Martinez, CC Sabathia, Jorge Posada, Ichiro Musina, and Joe Maurer all did not make. Wow. My- yeah, I thought we were only doing a four-person bench. Jesus, we are. Those are all the guys <laughs> who didn't make my. Yeah, those team. are the guys who didn't make his list at all. Oh my numbers. god! I've seen all of them live, and they still didn't make my list. Um, we can go. So my, uh, well, we go to first base here. This one might actually be. Well, no, I already know from Randy. He doesn't have the same guy as me. Henry, I never probably, saw him, unfortunately. Yeah, I've seen Albert Pujols twice. Once was spring training. Uh, the other one was actually last year, the same game I saw Mike Trout. He came in as a pinch hitter and did nothing of meaning. But um, so I've, I haven't seen Pools do anything great, but I have seen him. And I think hands down, he's the best first baseman I've ever seen in my life. So easy pick. Uh, same for me, Albert Pujols. I think you guys know how big of a Pujols fan I was. He is currently the only player I have traveled to specifically watch multiple times. I would have traveled just to watch Pujols. I've told the story of the Pujols foul ball off my hand before on mm-hmm. Don City. Um, Albert Pujols, not even close. Um, he'll go down as the greatest or the second greatest first baseman of all time. So, Yeah, I don't think there's a doubt that he's the best first baseman of our generation. I think he had the greatest 10-year stretch that we will ever see uh, from 2001 to 2011, especially. Uh, I think that's a worthy first baseman for both of you to have. I'm extremely jealous that you guys have gotten <laughs> to see him. I Unfortunately, Never had the, the chance. So my first baseman, uh, not quite as legendary, but my mom's favorite player of all time and had some legendary moments as a Yankee, but Tino Martinez is my first baseman. Uh, he's on my snub list, so that's fair. Yeah. I, I thought enough of him there. Uh, Tino is a hell of a player, and I don't – I don't. well, you don't remember because your memory started in 96. In 95, <laughs> he fucking killed the Yankees in that playoff series. And I yeah. feel like no one remembers that, but I remember – and uh, yeah, heck of a player. I mean, I had no problem at all. I remember my one memory of Tino. Well, no, I have many, but my best memory of Tino, oddly, is not the World Series home run in 01. It's there was a game against the Tigers randomly in old Tiger Stadium. 
and he was a triple from the cycle. He had a single double and a home run that game. And they're talking about like, you just need to, or I'm sorry, he had a single triple and a home run that game. And they're like, he just needs a double, just needs a double. He had a second home run. And I thought that was like, at the time, that was like the most badass thing. Like you're a double from the cycle and you hit a home run anyway. I'm like, yeah. that, that's the best. So that's my favorite. I mean, my- my, I mean, my own, my biggest memory of him is the Padres home run. I, I just think that like the the missed strike call leading to the home run that completely yeah, changed yeah. the entire series is is something I always remember. He always was really clutch to me too. I feel like he always came up big in a, in a big spot. A lot of those Yankee players uh, oh. came up pretty big, but I remember him in particular hitting bombs. So I always bust Randy's chops for being superstitious, <clears throat> and I say it does. I'm not superstitious, but here is a superstitious moment that involves Tino. I don't remember what year or how many games, but there was a stretch of games that Tino hit a home run every game for like, I want to say four, maybe even five games straight. They were home and he just went bonkers and he kept hitting home runs. So my wife goes, we got to go to a game. I'm like, why? She's like, Tino's hitting home runs. So I spent a shit load of money to get tickets on the right field wall. He doesn't hit a home run that game and I blame her. Oh no! I remember. Yeah, that that, that's totally why he didn't hit one because yeah. he went. <laughs> I, I totally blamed her for that shit. I remember that exact streak. I was out hundreds of dollars, no home run. I'm pissed. I'm at a loss. I was tight. <laughs> um, catcher, like I said, was the second hardest for me. Uh, I'm gonna go with Yadier Molina, which is kind of weird because I generally think he's a little bit overrated, but um, Sorry, I still Tanner. think he's the best catcher that I ever saw. Um, saw him with the Cardinals, obviously last year, and uh, yeah, that's what I'm going at catcher. It was really hard for me between him and Jorge Posada. I did not see Mike Piazza live, so mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. Um, you go, Randy. Yeah, uh, I would say my mom would argue that before I even loved Derek Jeter, my favorite player was Jorge Posada, because every time he hit a home run, we would do the hip hip Jorge, and like yeah, yeah. dumb kid, me as a dumb kid, really like that. Um, and my dad always used to say that if I could become a switch hitting catcher, I'd I'd make it in life <laughs> somehow. Um, he's very rare, and the no gloves uh, to me he was one of the more uh, iconic figures of my childhood. I'll always remember the bloop double in 2003 ALCS. Um, I mean, Jorge Posada, core four member, obviously. Um, I, I didn't see a better catcher than him. You going with Posada, too? I, I was going to go with Posada. I I am on the Posada as a Hall of Famer train. I've actually convinced Felipe of that. Felipe went back, crunched the numbers, and I give him credit, came back, he said, you know, Posada is a Hall of Famer. Is right up there with Yadier in war, despite any, the defense. Any cat, you, you, you take all of the catchers in the Hall of Fame, his numbers are dead smack in, in between. Yeah. Um, but I did not go with him. I did not go with Yadier. I was going to go with Posey, mm-hmm. but I did not because never, never saw him. One of my greatest baseball memories and most forget baseball, one of my greatest life memories was being at the game that Mike Piazza hit the home run after 9-11. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, That is one of my greatest life experiences. You take fandom, you throw it out the window. Yeah. Um, everything that that game felt, <clears throat> every time a plane flew over, everyone stopped and just looked up. The game didn't feel real. It went by fast. 
people were still crying. And then that moment, one of the greatest experiences of my life. So I have Mike Piazza as my catcher. I think that moment is larger than the sport. Totally. Uh, it's, it's similar to Bush's strike uh, in the world series where it means more than the game. And I think we see that a lot in sports. I think that you made the right call there. Piazza was, was a much better player, I think than Jorge was um, despite yeah. how we feel about Jorge. He was a better hitter. Yeah, of course. Uh, and that moment alone, I think that would have taken the cake for me as well. Uh, I just want to mention a comment here from Dylan Hickman. He, uh, Jorge has five rings and to your point earlier, Vince, um, when a player helps your team wins five championships, they have that that feeling with you in your heart. And Jorge was the catcher for those teams. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously Girardi was the catcher early on, but Jorge was the guy, you know, manning the ship for all those rotations. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that either. Jorge is also the blueprint for Gary Sanchez. If Gary Sanchez is ever going to have a successful career, that's the guy he should model. Because Jorge was a terrible defensive catcher early in his mm -hmm. career, but he always mashed. And he got um, better. He got. He didn't get credit for getting better defense. Yeah, he did, uh, right into his late thirties, which was pretty amazing. But he also wasn't really a regular starter until he was like twenty-seven. So, um, anyway, yeah, Piazza and Pudge. Unfortunately, I never saw live, or else one of them would have made my my catcher list. Uh, one of the very many times I cried in the nine eleven museum was seeing Piazza's jersey. Yeah. That's where it is. So, yeah. um, I. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna harp and then double down on how awesome that moment was, and I almost oh, didn't go. Huh. I almost didn't. A friend, uh, a coworker, she says, "Hey, me and my husband, we have a bunch of tickets to the game. Do you want to go?" And I just didn't feel right. You know, um, personally, my dad worked in the towers, and that was like the first time he'd taken a sick day, so I was still yeah. a little emotional because I thought he was there. Um, yeah. My mom took a sick day that day too, oddly enough. Me and my dad actually went down with one of my best friends and we helped uh, clear rubble for a few days. So I just didn't feel right going to a baseball game, but I went and I'm glad I went, man, because that was some moment. Unbelievable yeah. experience, I'm sure. I, it's, that's larger than life, like you said. Um, I don't remember if I had specified that we have a DH, but we do have a DH. Yeah, I got a DH. Okay, yeah. yeah mine, and this this was oddly a tough choice. So I was basically taking all the first basemen who <coughs> played DH. But Frank Thomas is my DH. Um, saw him a couple of times. White Sox, little known fact, the only team I've seen play the Yankees more than once who I've never seen the Yankees beat them. They played twice. Yeah. White Sox won both games. Frank Thomas was in both of those games. So there you go. Randy? Uh, you, Randy. Unfortunately, this man gave me nightmares. Oh, this no. child gave me sweats. We literally made my team not good enough. Yeah. Uh, Henry just told me that there was a game of him hitting a walk-off against the Yankees that I brings back horrible memories, but I got to give him the respect because he was the only player I think I truly feared more than anyone at the time. I think especially even still to this day, we, we all have nightmares of him coming up in a big spot. Um, but it's David Ortiz. Uh, I think he played DH for the Red Sox for many years and killed us basically in every chance he got. So I thought it was a no-brainer for me. Can't go wrong there. My guy keeps both your guys' ass again. I'm going to go with the Gary Sanchez punching bag. Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> Ooh, that DH, that's ballsy. Okay. I don't know if David Ortiz – I don't think David Ortiz beats a, uh, your guy, to be honest. He doesn't. Hey. At DH, I think Frank Thomas does. is better than both of them, so suck oh, it. Uh, my guy was a primarily just a DH, though, so I think that I would. guy that was, was the like, most look. pure DH, I'll give you that. But uh, Elfrey does have a lot of games at DH, a lot. Yeah, no, Miggy at this point is fine. Uh, I almost considered him at third. I was like, that's way, that's out of line. 
So, uh, all right, yeah. Well, spoiler alert, Meggy is um, on my bench. <laughs> so he did make my team. What's your bench? My bench, yeah, we'll just go through the bench um, at once. My bench is Jeter, Cano, Miguel Cabrera, and Jim Tomei, who I saw wow. in the same game as Robbie Alomar. And uh, Cano, obviously, I've seen a million times. My favorite memory of Cano, the Grand Slam against the Tigers in the playoffs. I was at that game, game two or game one continued, whatever it was. Um, Jeter, obviously, I have a million memories of. Miggy, I saw like you. So, the, you know, that's my entire bench. Jeter, Cano, Cabrera, Tomei round out my offense. Uh, what about you, Henry? My bench is Manny. Probably the best pure hitter I've seen. Um, Ken Griffey Jr., a-Rod and um I had it was between Beltre and this guy at third base. Um, but I, I chose Beltre and my, my last bench spot goes to Chipper Jones. That's a good one. I never I never saw the Braves in the nineties, so I never saw Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, or Chipper. So you know, I, I have the luxury of, of seeing I can go to both Yankee and Mets games and see, you know, a lot yeah. of Yeah. Because I only went to Shea Stadium once, so I didn't really see NL teams until, like, somewhere in the 2000s. I mean, uh, Actually, when I moved to South Florida, I went to some Marlins games. So that was probably I, should have had Chipper a starting, but I, I went with Belichick. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have Chipper a third. I probably would have went Chipper a third. That's a good, I didn't even think about him, obviously, because I've never saw him, but that's a really good choice. Who, who do you have, Randy, on your bench? So I'm just going to show you how not of much how much of a homer I am not during this because my whole bench is just filled with Yankees. I uh, went Alex Rodriguez, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Robinson Cano. So okay. those are my four bench players. You know, Stanton's not a guy I considered, but it's not a bad like not a bad pick if you haven't seen a lot of players in the '90s. Henry and I saw him on the Marlins at a Mets game, and he I, he homered that day. I'm pretty sure. So uh, we saw MVP Stanton. So. Yeah. That's cool. I saw him homer at the trop, tied the game, and then, of course, the Yankees lost after that. But, uh, <laughs> I that don't might have been the are not walk-off I got treated to, just to tell you how <laughs> shitty my trop experiences are. I don't think uh, Manny, I mean, um, Stan would replace anyone, maybe Ichiro, I don't know. Yeah, like, he, I'm not, I don't think he should have made my team, but I'm saying if I didn't get luxuries, like seeing Frank Thomas, because I, um, yeah. you know, five five to 10 years younger. Uh, it's, it's a reasonable choice. Um, rotation should be interesting because this is definitely like, there's a very firm divide, I think, between the two generations. Uh, I'll go through my rotation. We, uh, we've used up a lot of time here, but my rotation is Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Justin Verlander, and Roy Halladay. Um, Clemens, I saw beat the Mets <laughs> like seven to one. Pedro, I saw shut out the Yankees at one of the rare Yankee stadium losses I saw. I saw um, He shut out the Yankees 2-0. So I distinctly remember that. Randy Johnson, I actually saw as a Yankee later in his career, and he beat the Twins, obviously. Oh. <laughs> Justin Verlander, I saw in a spring training game and also like the one Tiger game I ever went to. And Roy Halladay, I actually saw as a member of the Blue Jays on Father's Day in like 2008 against the Marlins. He, uh, the Marlins won that game, oddly enough, in the interleague matchup. So that's my rotation. Randy, what, what's yours look like? Obviously, mine's a little bit more new school, but the first two guys here, I actually saw face off three separate times. Wow. Believe it or not, both both as the aces of their staffs, uh, which are CC Sabathia and Felix Hernandez. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, King Felix in his prime, obviously, was was great. And so was CC. And I, one of the best games I ever saw was those two guys going seven innings each. And um, Cano hit a double in the, the bottom of the eighth to take the lead. And I got to see Mariano that day. The last time I ever got to see Mo uh, was those two guys pitching off against each other. Uh, third was Chris Sale, who I saw two years ago in the Red Sox. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, who I saw with Henry at City Field uh, mm-hmm. in that Mets game. And then Masahiro Tanaka, I threw in there as the fifth guy. I, I would juggle between him, a couple other guys. I just think with his playoff experience, and I've seen him probably like five, six times at this point, that I just went with him. So Yankees Orioles game, you didn't get a single starter from the Orioles to throw in there? No, I I don't even know who started for the Orioles. I know that the Yankees starter got hurt and Randy Choate started for the Yankees, so I wasn't going with that one. Randy, that's a pathetic list. (laughs) Sorry, man. That's I a pathetic you your, with your fielders, but that is a terrible rotation. So right. I think you, it's okay. No, CC in his prime. It's CC's terrible. a Hall of Famer. That's literally Felix could have been a Hall of Famer. I have CC is the worst pitcher on my list. Okay, well, sorry that you know, I didn't get to go to games every all the time. You need to make it a point if we have baseball this season to drive your ass down to New York and see some better players. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like get to choose who plays I, when I go. Randy, I, I, Randy does some good list. pitching matchups this year somehow. That's a shitty list. <laughs> I I don't think it's that bad. I thought that was a solid that list. Horrible. All right, my list. I'm gonna go worst, which is Cece, um, Kershaw, Clemens, Maddox, and the number one pitcher I've seen that's killed us so many times is Pedro. Well, compared to these lists, yeah, my my rotation sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, there there was going to be that divide. Like guys like Pedro Clemens and Randy Johnson. You, you I didn't want to put Clemens on. Um, I I think he's such an asshole, but he watching him pitch was you know something it was a show, you know. Yeah. When it was happening, you know, you later find out, you know, he was cheating. He was doing this. You know, he, he's a scumbag. But you know, he was one of the best pitchers I saw. That Pedro shutout, by the way, I think in over 70 games is the only time I've seen the Yankees get shut out in my life. (laughs) So it was a complete game shutout too. You know, I meant to make a mention of it when I put Derek Jeter on my list. I was at the game where he cut his face. Nice. Oh, no, really? The John Flaherty game. No one was at the game before that. Yeah. I was at that game with my, my late uncle. Um, That's cool. And that That's was my a- favorite game ever, regular season. Should, one day we should do a segment of like our greatest experiences in games. Yeah. 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 The day well, mine might not be good enough. So yeah, right. We'll oh, just I, disregard Randy's. I know I know one of Randy's is watching Gary Sanchez hit a home run and then needing a tow truck. <laughs> <laughs> and then my car broke down. Yeah. That was uh, such a bittersweet moment. Yeah, that uh, I was the, at the day before that, Henry, when uh, Gary Sheffield hit it through David Ortiz's glove and the Yankees won that game too. But um, I was so jealous you're at that. That's my favorite regular season game of all time and maybe some of the best Michael K of all time in that game. Um, let's finish up here with our relievers. I am going to guarantee one of them is the same for all of us. That is Mariano Rivera. Um, my second one was surprisingly difficult because I never saw Joe Nathan. I never saw Billy Wagner. I never saw a lot of great relievers somehow, probably because I mostly went to the Yankee games early in my life and they won pretty much all of the games. So I really only saw Mo. My second one is Araldis Chapman, who surprisingly is a lot better than I kind of give him credit for in his career. Um, he's probably a top 15 reliever ever, and that would be my second guy. 
I think he's a Hall of Fame already. Yeah, I agree with you. And I saw him specifically, the first time I saw him was at Wrigley, uh, the Yankee interleague game. They won that Brett Gardner at the three-run homer in the ninth. And then Chapman tried to blow it in the bottom of the ninth, but didn't. Um, yeah, my favorite Mo memory, probably clinching game six of the 2009 ALCS. But I did see Mo lose twice. And one of the times was against the Rays at Yankee Stadium, and he gave up back-to-back home runs, which was the only time in his career he ever did that. Wow. So there you go. What do you got, Randy? Who do we have? Yeah, Mariano Rivera. Like I said, I went out of my way to try to see him one last time before he retired. Uh, what can you say about the greatest closer of all time, the only unanimous Hall of Famer in baseball history? It's my favorite thing to say as a factual statement at work, given that everyone at work hates the Yankees. And when I write a story about Cooperstown, I say, okay, Derek Jeter has been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's joining his teammate in the only unanimous Hall of Famer in baseball history. There's nothing anyone can say to me that makes that a homer. That is a true factual statement that, <laughs> that no one can dispute. So for one of my one of my personal favorite sentences to write uh, as, a, as a producer for the news. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I went to Baltimore for a game one time in, in 2016. And this was uh, not quite peak Zach Britton, but pretty close. So I went with him. Uh, he was pretty good back in the day and he got a really big reaction from the crowd. He's quite the fan favorite, obviously a Yankee. Now I don't think I've even seen him as a Yankee, but I got to see him back when he was still on the Orioles um, before, you know, Showalter decided to not bring him into that playoff game and kind of ruined him. Yeah. That's not a bad call. Fair description. <laughs> who, who, who is your, Mariano, obviously, and Billy Wagner. Yeah. I'm jealous Wagner with fun. Wagner. And Wagner, I, I saw him face the Yankees, but I also saw him when he when he pitched with the Mets. So, a couple of Subway Series games and stuff. I didn't realize how good Wagner is until I realized how much better than Trevor Hoffman he was. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to, if I'm not mistaken, Billy Wagner blew two interleague games against the Yankees, and I was at both of them. Wow, he was nasty. I was my father-in-law was with me, and I give him shit every time. <laughs> One of those games, the Mets were winning the whole game, and Wagner blew the game. That's pretty good. I was giving him shit the whole way home. That's pretty good. Yeah, Wagner uh, may be the most underrated reliever ever. For my, he is probably the second best reliever since like 1993. Yeah, I like I, I always say I'll take him over Hoffman. Hoffman's a choke artist in the spotlight. Yeah, absolutely is. Um, good. So, all right. Well, there's our list. I mean, you know, that's a lot of talent and I'm so jealous of your Braves. <laughs> that's probably my biggest takeaway. I wish I had seen like a Greg Maddox pitch um, or Piazza. The three of them. I mean, it was pretty cool. That is cool. Well, I saw Smoltz pitch as a reliever as well. I could have went with him as my second. You could have. I can't believe that. Yeah. I've done that. Fun he fact about Smoltz, the Yankees ended his starting career. I don't know if you guys remember that, but Smoltz got bombed on national television as a starter, and he ne- he then was reliever after that. Um, Or actually, no, that was to end his career. <laughs> I think that was his last appearance. He just got hammered by the Yankees. Anyway, look it up. I promise you, Yankees ruined John Smoltz. That's why he's such an asshole whenever he broadcasts the Yankee games. Yeah, and, that, and they took two titles away from him. Anyway. That should do it. Um, this was a- I just want to send thank you. I've gotten a lot of uh, text messages and, and personal messages um, wishing me well. Um, thank you guys. I would also say everyone, you know, take this serious. Um, 
I don't want to say I didn't take it serious, but I, I am an essential employee and I was going to work. I don't know how I contracted it. Um, it's serious. It's, it's a silent killer. Um, just if you don't have to go out, stay indoors, listen to the CDC and wash ass. Yeah. And you're in New York City, the hot spot for all of this. Yeah, so. don't be in New York City is the best advice I can give you. It's just like, don't live there. Don't yeah. be there. Don't contract there. Well, at least don't come here now. It's, it's you know, yeah. it's it's serious, you know, and I urge everyone to take it serious. Um, yeah. Good advice. I'm thank feeling you. right now is not fun. I, yeah, I bet. Um, thank you to everyone who joined us. This was a long one. By the way, it will. We do have audio versions coming. That has been a big request. Um, I think we finally found a platform we like. So we'll start unveiling that. I think Felipe might have sent his uh, fo the football one that Randy, obviously, you're a part of. Uh, that might have been the first one sent. There are this one will be on there, and last week's Stong City will also be on there. Um, so we'll start public publicizing that once we um, have that uh, kind of completely figured out. There's still a few things I want to tweak with it. So you'll have audio versions as well. This one will be on YouTube once I can upload this massive file. And uh, thank you, Randy, for joining us as a guest. Thank you, guys. It was my pleasure, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. I know it turned into a Yankee love fest at some points here, but uh, I'm really happy to be on. Baseball is my first. Yeah, yeah, baseball is my first love, and I'm happy that I got to be a part of it. I cannot wait for it to come back. Obviously, we want this to get past Henry. I want you to get better, my friend, so we can get to uh, get to opening day and uh, forget about all this. Absolutely. Feel better, Henry. We'll see you next week on uh, Dong City here. April 6th will be our next episode. Hopefully we'll have even more updates. Otherwise, we can maybe do some more historical things, which has been fun. Um, and uh, that's it. So have a good night. Dong City, bitches. <laughs>